Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 354. Tom Maluli here with Tim Maluli and Brendan Maluli. Hey guys. Hey. Ready to uh, discuss some interesting topics today, as usual, right? Let her rip. Yeah, so there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, and we've been hearing about inflation and people being worried about inflation for, for a while now. It's been a couple months, at least. And this one kind of spoke directly to those people who might be afraid of inflation. Uh, the title just said, Everything Screams Inflation, which is a little sensationalized. I think it, it's supposed to grab people's attention. But this author wrote about how investors are extremely unprepared for what he said could be a once-in-a-generation shift in the market and outlined a couple couple points of reasons why he thinks you know a change in, in the market could be coming soon. He did raise some very good points that I think we should briefly touch on. The, the first one was that central banks like the Fed are now less concerned about inflation. And at some point that, you know, the Fed's going to have to really start raising rates aggressively if there is a lot of inflation. Right. They've, they've given themselves some wiggle room on the inflation part of their mandate. The one they're, they're trying to focus on is getting people back to work, which is the other half of their mandate in terms of what's the unemployment rate and, and what can they do about it. I, so, I mean, it makes sense, though, especially considering how low inflation has been for the last handful of years. Like like you said, it's the other half of what they need to worry about. And right now, getting more people back to work is definitely the more pressing issue. I'd say, too, that like at some point in the future, they're going to taper off purchases that that they're making and they're going to raise interest rates and i don't think we're gonna die yeah they did this yeah from 2015 to 2018 they went through we went through the taper tantrum they so they tapered off their bond purchases and then they hiked rates from zero to two and a half percent and the market went up 50 percent in three years yeah what are we (laughs) what are we worried about i don't know like i know that it doesn't have to play out exactly like that again but We've we've done this already, and yeah. I'm not suggesting that there won't be a reaction to whenever the Fed has to do this stuff. There will be. I'm saying that you shouldn't be concerned as an investor. Yeah, I think you know the Fed does its job. What do you think that like when inflation comes back, the Fed is just going to stop doing their job? Like their their job is to when there's inflation or too much inflation to to fight it to do something uh, to do about something it. about it, right. and they're going to. I think Powell has said that all along. He's going to do whatever it takes to to keep things looking the way that they should. I know that we've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts and some videos, but I just don't understand why. You know, Greenspan used to, you needed to interpret the tea leaves to try and figure out what he was saying because he would talk in code. And Bernanke was way more transparent. Yellen was even better. Powell has been the most transparent of all. Why don't, why doesn't the market and media trust what they're saying they haven't they they haven't double crossed us yet i don't know what the problem is and, yeah. and you know the other thing is 
are we looking for what what will the fed do if we get i'm picking a number out of the sky what if we got eight percent inflation what would the fed do i mean it would take a while to get to those kind of levels and so i'm just looking at the chart that they included in the article we had six percent inflation in 1970 before anybody even knew what the word inflation meant but even going past everything that happened in the late 70s and into the early 80s in, in 1989, we had over 5% inflation. In 1990, we had 6%, a little over 6% inflation. In 2000, we were at about 4%. In the 2005, we had something like 5.5% inflation. Uh, 2011 and 12, we had 4% inflation. It's, it's been here. We've been through a period of super low inflation, but that's why you know, when the when the author wrote about how it's a once in a generation shift in in what's going on in the environment, I just I just don't believe that. And right. this like, is, if, you, if you zoom out far enough on a chart of, of interest rates, you know, uh, for example, which have a relation to what's going on with inflation, it looks like rates have just been dropping ever since the 80s, and that's true on a huge chart. But it's not true if you look at specific periods of time in right. between there. And you, and you could look at those periods of time and see what happened as a result of rising rates. And it probably tells a slightly different story than anybody who's screaming apocalypse as, as a result of this. And I'm just not sure it's that serious. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month message is to stay the course. And like you said, Brendan, it's not going to kill us. What happens, I, I just think it's funny how history, I don't want to say is getting rewritten, but almost twisted to fit a narrative. Like in this article, for example, they talked about how, you know, in the post-2009 era, that stimulus was withdrawn too quickly. Maybe, they st- maybe not here. He was He was talking about... Europe, though, where they took a slightly different approach than we did here and had more austerity. That, that didn't generally work uh, yeah. as, as a concept. And so if you're talking about, you know, not just, you know, the, the Fed, but like the ECB, too, or, or what they're doing on the fiscal side uh, overseas, I mean, it, it may, be, may be different in that regard. I, I thought that was kind of a, a decent point there. I think you raise a good point because, you know, we tend to think here at home in the U.S. that, you know, the Fed kind of calls the shots, but you, it's true. I mean, the ECB had a lot of back and forth with that. I remember it was in 2011 and 12 where Mario Draghi basically had to have a press conference every month saying, we're going to do whatever it takes to get through this. And they did. It's, it's interesting to see how they talk about not only what has happened in the past, but that demographics are gonna, wor- are gonna worsen the situation and that labor is now gonna put upward pressure on wages and rates. Uh, I just find it you know, a little hard to swallow the whole narrative. It, yeah, they're, it's trying, I think it's trying to be framed as like this is a com- these are all completely new things. And I'm one of the, like the second point that he made about politics is shifting to want to spend spend more now and pay less later. But then the first part of that, when he went on to explain that point, he said, "Oh, since Nixon, it's been this way." And it's like, well, so this, so it's not new. 
Like, right. if if it's been going on since President Nixon was in office, like this, this is isn't 50 a, years. this isn't a new thing. So I think it was exaggerated as to how much of like a once in a generation, once in a lifetime thing that what we're seeing now is. I, I I'm I'm not gonna predict what's gonna happen with inflation or what's gonna happen, you know, what the next two turns in the road are gonna be for the Fed. Uh, and so I think we kind of have to continue to manage what's happening right in front of us. I think the Fed's done a good job. I think that uh, we see a lot of articles in the media now which are trying to scare people, in my opinion, about inflation. And they may be worrying, getting people to worry about something that we may not need to worry about. I think, too, that it's it's always worth noting, not the case here with uh, the journal, but certainly some other places that are screaming about inflation. What are they? What are, what's their solution to the proposed problem that they're putting in front of you? And is it something that they're going to profit off of, like gold, right. or like some newsletter service, right. or an alternative investment that is going to they're going to sell to you that will not be impacted by inflation magically? Because I think a lot of it comes from that sort of place, which I don't appreciate as somebody who needs to guide investors in the market sensibly uh what's the agenda it's just, it's just getting people agenda? riled up yeah to, yeah to buy into what they're what they're selling for them i would also add to that like tim alluded to at the beginning have heard a ton about inflation over the last several months uh especially as we've you know progressed through uh 2020 and all the solutions that came out of you know fiscal and monetary policy as a result, but I'm not sure that the big risk for investors has ever been so widely telegraphed. And so while we need to be cognizant of inflation and what risks that might present to a portfolio over the long term, this is like the thing that we should be worrying about is usually something that we're not all talking about or reading articles about in advance in something like the Wall Street Journal. That's not how it works. Right. Usually those risks are, are the What's, what's the term, the, the unknown unknowns, the, the risk that we can't plan for. Inflation is one that we can plan for, but I'm not sure it may be as dire as some are making it out to be, especially because we're all talking about it so much. Yeah. yeah. And to, to put a bow on, on all of this, since 2009-10 area, the, you know, about 10 years ago, the Fed has used 2% annual inflation as a target and we've rarely reached that. So we've really been living through a period of mild disinflation. A little inflation will be a good thing. And that's why they're saying, hey, if we get a couple of quarters or even a year where we're north of 2%, it's going to be okay. They need some, they need some inflation in the system. I think we have to trust these guys that they're doing a good job. They, they, haven't, they haven't steered us wrong yet. They've done everything that they could do on, on the other end of the spectrum when we were worried about stability in the markets and the economy. And they, they in fact, they invented things that they could do that we didn't know before uh, they trotted them out that they could even do those things. Yeah. And so I would anticipate that if we're facing the opposite end of the spectrum and inflation is running away, that the Fed can also not only do things that we've seen them do in the past to fight inflation, but probably invent new things too that might be helpful. And we have no idea what those are at this point. Right. I think the game has changed uh, since the 1987 crash. And I know that I talked about this on a podcast and on a, on a video as well. People talk about the Greenspan put. It wasn't necessarily a put in the sense that Greenspan said, don't worry, if things go down, we'll be all right. 
But what he did say the morning after the stock market crash in 1987 was that the Fed will do whatever it can to help the economy, not necessarily the markets. And people have interpreted, interpreted that to mean that when there's trouble, the Fed's going to ride to the rescue. They shouldn't really bank on that, but it just seems to be uncanny how it's worked out that way. And when the Fed brings as much firepower as it did a year ago to the pandemic, uh, they really they, they brought, they brought the, the keg to the little meeting on the corner. They brought too much. So the question is, what are they going to do for the next pandemic or the next crisis? That's one of my concerns. Tim, what do you do if, you're, uh, if your advisor has half of your money sitting in cash and bonds and waiting for a dip? Yeah, I think uh, so. So Ben Carlson at Ritholtz wrote an article about the differences between just managing money and managing investors because they're two very different things uh, that that are intertwined. If you're an advisor or if you're someone working with an advisor, when it comes down to managing money, I mean, there are all of the numbers and data, market history going back that you can use to to base your decisions off of. But when it comes down to managing investors, uh, you know, you get into the human psychological aspect of things and it, it can be kind of tough to keep people in line. So Ben kind of turned this back over to the investors working with an advisory firm or someone wealth management firm and posed a couple questions to them that they should understand about their advisors when they're working with them so that they can have the right expectations in place. Yeah, I think I think the question even came about the author of that of that post got a question himself and the person was like, "Hey, like this is what I've got, like is this cool?" basically. And and we run into this all the time too and it's like, "Well, maybe." Right. Uh, depending on what your goals are. And so then he launched into this longer form thing about like how you need to have a plan in place that dictates the investments and not just a smattering of ideas and yeah. and cash waiting for opportunities. Like that's that's not that's not an investment plan. That's just winging it. it and uh, that's not going to work out really well. It's kind of like what the the blog post that we published this week was about and you know, questions to ask your next financial planner, the same thing goes for an investment advisor or just a firm in general that you're working with. Um, not all advisors or planners will have the same philosophy as you or the same investment strategy, or maybe you guys just don't align with one another. And there are questions that you should ask to, to understand uh, before you start working with them. Like one of the questions that Ben put in there was, what types of investments like won't be in my portfolio and why? And, and will and will it, you yeah. have to ask the question of like here's my portfolio is this good that means you don't understand why it it would be good or bad and that's that's bad from the onset it means you don't understand what you're doing and that means there's no plan in place right, right. it's nonsense then yeah might be good might be bad i don't know yeah unfortunately that happens a lot uh we have people that come in from other brokers or working with other advisors and they're like i don't know what any of this stuff is I don't know why we bought this. I don't know why we own this. And that's a huge red flag when people come in and show us this stuff. We, we also have, you know, existing clients that will call up every once in a while, or maybe they heard something from a friend or they see something in the news that they, they might want to buy, you know, specifically coming to mind right now is like Bitcoin and Dogecoin and all that stuff. Like, can we own some of that? And it's like, well, and you have to explain to them uh, why that is or isn't something that is going to be in their portfolio. You know, for, for us as fiduciaries right now, that 
space is just extremely speculative and you know we we can't we have an obligation to put their money into things that are it's it's just too risky at the moment so you need to be able to explain that to people and maybe that does or doesn't mesh with certain clients i i thought there was a, a good line from from the post was just that asset management without goals or a plan is like trying to build a house without a blueprint and that's exactly where you're making it really hard on yourself yes. to make a portfolio when you're coming from a place of I have no idea what this money is for. I have no idea how comfortable I am with risk. I don't know anything. Like it's you. You might as well just be going to the casino and, and pulling yeah. pulling the slot on a random machine. Like it's there's there's nothing to it. Then like you need to have those questions answered before you put money to work, or you're gonna have a bad time. Sometimes people will come to us because they were referred to us by a friend or a coworker, and they will say something like what you just said. Like I this stuff doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it but I just want you to do your magic. I cringe when I hear that phrase because they, they're telling us, I wanna to continue, to con to continue to keep my head in the sand. I really don't wanna know, but I've heard you done, you've done really well for my friend. Just do whatever you're doing for him. It, it doesn't work that way. That's not the approach that we wanna take. We want you to understand, we want you to be an active participant in all of this. And so I won't say it's a red flag, but it's a it's a caution flag for me when I hear it. The magic um, the magic is really boring. The magic yeah. is that we have a very good understanding of what your friend would like to do with their money and what they're comfortable with, and we execute on that, and we've communicated with them what what we're doing and why. Yeah, it's really boring. It's not. I I wish it were the uh, magic formula that beats the market. That that is the actual magic. That's not what it is. Yeah, I think we have happy clients because we do sensible things like build investment plans for them before doing anything, implementing, so that they're not asking some other advisor in the future, like, hey, here's a smattering of ETFs I own. Like, is this any good? Yeah. Salespeople are usually the most agreeable people you'll ever meet because they're going to go along with whatever you pretty much want them to do. I don't like this market, so I'm think I think uh, I should get out of the market. Okay, those are the conversations I used to hear. So I think part of the hard work that an advisor has to put in a fiduciary is they have to occasionally remind the client of why they're investing in the first place because it's not always going to be purple pansies and pink elephants. It's not always going to work out great. There's going to be times where we're losing money and people need to be reminded here is why we're doing what we're doing. Even though it hurts right now, in the long run it's going to work out. This is the plan. Even on the flip side too, even if you're even if you're making money, sometimes it makes sense to take some of that money off the table. And that was another post that Ben wrote this week was, you know, when should we uh, figuring out when to take profits from some of your biggest winners over the span of the last year? The S and P is up like seventy five percent, and some a handful of individual stocks are up a lot. So some people might be sitting on some pretty big gains, and you need to figure out what you're going to do with that like what what's the game plan here and the first question ben wrote for someone who might be in that position is you know why did i buy it in the first place these these questions about what what to do with portfolios in these scenarios they're all a lot easier to answer when you had a plan at the onset for putting it together but 
some people may be in a unique position in the last year because of the proliferation of day trading has like resurfaced from the 2000s and people are on Robinhood or doing stuff with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And, and there was never a plan going into that. It was just fun money for most and they just stuck some money into something and now it's up a ton. But, but you know, if, if you had a plan going into that in terms of the investment mix that you should have based on where you're trying to go and what you're comfortable with, it's very easy because you reach certain thresholds and maybe your portfolio has gone up a ton on the stock side. So it's time to take some money back from that and, and invest it to keep the portfolio in balance by adding to the bond side. And you might have done that on the, on the flip side uh, last year in March, April or May when stocks were down a ton. You probably took some from the bond side to add to stocks when, when they were down, too, to keep things in balance. But yeah. you, you got to have that set up beforehand uh, to know when it makes sense to do those things. And it, it all becomes a little more systematic if you've if you define this at the onset uh so you can make your life a lot easier <laughs> yeah by, by doing that i think one of so ben laid out five questions in the article and one of them was what does my investment plan say and i totally agree with everything that you just said and i honestly think the other four questions without a plan are extremely difficult to answer and you're not going to be able to know if you're right until after the fact like one of the questions was what would bring me the most regret well, you're, not, you're going to be able to look back at that and be like, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Are there better opportunities available? Outside of a plan, everything, the new shiny object, everything is going to look like a great opportunity. The, we the won't know if it is one until after you've made money on that or not. But. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's the most important thing there and, and in the article, like you said, was to just make sure that you have a plan for, for each investment in your portfolio because without it, it's going to be really hard to make decisions and you're going to be second guessing yourself the entire way. Yeah, I think what's going to happen is without a plan, you're going to be reassessing your no plan plan every single day. And so it's going to be easy to see, hey, we've had three down days in a row. The market doesn't look good. I should do something. I feel like I should do something. There's a lot of people who change their portfolios because they're bored. I'm tired of looking at these names. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you over the years how many people have said that. I just got tired of looking at this thing. <sighs> that means you probably didn't buy it for the right reason either. Right. And you're going to sell it for, for all for the wrong, all the reasons. wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know. Like the, the basis of this article is, is what to do after you've had a position that's done really well for you. And it's tough to know what to do with it when you when you never had any intention at all uh, right. on the entry. If, if you did, it's probably more clear cut and it, it wouldn't be such a... Uh, a battle mentally to, to figure out what to do. But assuming you're in that position, I thought one of the suggestions that Ben had, uh, which is, is sensible, doesn't mean it's going to make it any easier to do, is if it's if this amount of money now, this one position has grown to be an inordinate amount of your portfolio, whatever that means to you, you, you should Scale reassess that, that and, and, and just keep a percentage target and say like, you know, no matter what my investments are worth, I don't want this thing to be more than 10% yep. or, or whatever the number is, I, I would operate in that fashion and that may seem too simple and and you, you maybe are craving uh, a more detailed analysis of, of what the next quarter or the next calendar year specifically holds for this investment based on fundamentals or technicals or whatever whatever brought you to it in the first place. But I think, I think you're making it too complicated by doing that and I think you're fooling yourself too because neither of those things are predictive. So simpler is better. Um, so if you need to right size a position, 
I would, I would do that before you regret it. So that's going to wrap up episode 354 of the Maluli Asset podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you on the next episode.